0: This is episode 221 of the Books, Shows, Tunes, and Mad Acts podcast. This episode is titled, Reacher, the book and the series. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Books, Shows, Tunes, and Mad Acts, the mostly self-explanatory show about stuff we'd like. I'm your host. Jennifer Crittenden. This show is a reboot of Dear Discreet Guide, which ended with 202 episodes at the end of year 2020. So thank you for joining us in the new show. I'm excited to see where this new adventure will take I am really pleased to have a guest with us today who is uh, an English writer and also has a history and experience in law enforcement. And today we're going to talk about Reacher, the book, The Killing Floor, and then also the Amazon series that has come out, also called Reacher. So welcome to the show, Mark.
1: Thank you very much for having me. I'm really, really glad to be here
0: so this is mark knowles and i'll give you a little bit of his bio in his words he says i've loved ancient history ever since i sat down with my folks when i was a little boy and watched my first ray Harryhausen movie i read degrees in classics and management studies at downing college cambridge and emerged not really having a clue about what to do for a wage. After various jobs and a decade working as a frontline officer and supervisor within the Metropolitan Police Service, I changed careers to run a classics department at a school in Harrogate. I'm a big fan of experimental archaeology and rode on the reconstructed ancient Athenian Trimere Olympias during her last sea trials in Greece in 1994. He says, I hope somebody builds something similar in the next few years before I'm too decrepit to pull an oar. He's also an author of historical fiction. He's written The Consul's Daughter and Argo. And I'm very excited to have him on the show today. And after looking at his books, I'm really hopeful that we can bring him back to talk about his books. Uh, So let's all be nice to him today. So he'll come back. So Mark, let me start off with asking you some general questions about the show. So uh, I should mention to the audience, uh, we are going to be including spoilers in the show. So if you hope to watch the show without that kind of information, turn off the podcast now and go watch it. And similarly, we're gonna be talking quite a bit about The Killing Floor, the book that this series is based on. Uh, So again, uh, lots of spoilers. Uh, and Mark, so tell me first, did you like the Amazon series, the show?
1: I absolutely loved it. it was it was riveting, it was incredibly intense. and I, I, I said to my to my wife because she uh, I had to persuade her to, to watch it um just because it was it was her choice it's her choice on, the, on the, of the appearance of Alan richson. Um, she was pretty pretty keen to watch on, but it was about that of course the uh, the, the production was amazing. I thought it was absolutely spectacular. It was one of the most intense series I've I've seen for a long, long time. And I I was thinking about um, something comparable, and the best I could come up with was a long time ago, Twenty Four, which that's going back perhaps twenty years. So it was it was that that sort of um, yeah, active on um, my wife and I who we sort of binge watched it Uh almost almost all the way through. It's fantastic. Really, really loved it.
0: Did she like it?
1: She did. She needed a little bit of persuasion that um, that she might want to watch it on the back of some good reviews. I, I think um, speaking to a lot of uh, friends who had the same situation, because um, if you on the face of it, it doesn't look like something that necessarily women might like. It looks a little bit perhaps macho a bit, but it doesn't take long for Alan Richson to be in the frame for... For, for women to take in a sudden interest and I can't think why
0: oh I know it just escapes um, me why that could possibly be the case <laughs> <laughs> yeah so did you did you like his casting
1: I think he was um, a perfect casting um, mm. the, unfortunately for poor, poor old Tom, Tom Cruise it does mm-hmm. invite comparisons with him um, yeah. and I think um, I only ever saw the, the film one shot. Which was, I thought, it was really good. And I think the, the Lee Childs, when he was approached about the casting of Tom Cruise, my understanding is that he was quite diplomatic and said something like, "Well, it's more the psychological construct rather than the physical size that's important. The acting stature, anyway, of Tom Cruise can carry that off." And I thought he did a pretty good job with it. But Richardson is is Jack Reacher. I have to say it helps never having seen him in anything else. And, and I looked um, after that just to see on IMDb, the sort of roles had taken on It's it's quite a varied mix, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I agree. It was, it helped me the fact that I didn't have any association with him. Whereas, you know, I mean, poor Tom Cruise, that he's so successful that we've seen him in so many things, but yeah, you already have a, a connection with what you think Tom Cruise is like. Where's I didn't have that for Alan Richson. I think other people have seen him before, but I never had. So,
1: But I, I think we're we're on the same page that he he was a bit of an unknown. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no preconceptions about him at all and um, from the very first sort of moment he owned it. And he looks the part. He's about the right sort of age, certainly for Killing Floor. I think he's 36, isn't he, in uh, Reacher in that first book. Um, Richson's about that age.
0: Oh, is that right?
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Oh, that's interesting. Because I, I thought Richson was younger. That was the only thing that was a little wrong for me was that he seemed a little bit too young. But maybe he just looks young. <laughs> Poor guy. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> he's kept himself in very good shape, I think, and um, looks after himself. So yeah, he's 36, 37, I think. But huh. I uh but certainly, certainly yeah. So uh, the age is right, the size is um, I suspect after some. A vigorous workout route is about right as well. <laughs> yeah. um, hair, style, everything. Yeah.
0: So for our audience, in case you don't aren't familiar with the book, so one of the things that's really pivotal, I would say, for the books is the size of Jack Reacher. He is an enormous person. Yeah. I think he's 6'5 and, you know, big. And so that was one of the complaints about Tom Cruise was he was just too small but yeah, Alan Richson definitely has that sort of mountain man impression on screen. <laughs> yeah, right. It's a, yeah, it, it's very intimidating. Okay, what are the things that you think were correctly or incorrectly transferred to the screen? Uh,
1: good question. So, correctly, we mentioned yeah, his his, his presence, which is it's difficult to. Uh, I guess that's the skill of acting, isn't it? To, to you can you can you can fill the role, but do you actually kind of own the screen? Do you have that presence? And I thought that was. Something he he um he, he's got that's innate for, for Um and it's not just about the size. I think I think they they got absolutely right that he's a man of very few words, wasn't he? And in in well, it took a while for him to actually say anything—maybe yeah. five, ten minutes. So that tactic of not speaking while he kind of sizes up sizes up the the, the opposition and his predicament was was absolutely spot on. Also, um, when I because obviously we both reread Killing Floor, having been a few years since I first picked it up. I think they their realization of Margrave as a town was perfect. Um,
0: mm-hmm. that,
1: that was exactly how I envisaged the town looking. Um, so so brilliant. I don't know where it was filmed, but it was really well set. I had to say I did have a little bit uh, some reservations with Kleiner's son. yeah yeah he, he is the sort of um he's quite preppy. In, in the, in the <laughs> um, on the stage, isn't he?
0: Yeah, that's a that's um, an issue. And, I agree. Yeah, he's not he's not on the screen the way he's presented in the book. And we'll talk more about his character, but he's actually quite different in the show than he is yeah, in the book.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. It, it was a bit of a problem, and also we mentioned probably cover it later. The way he behaves in the final scene, the the, the spoiler <laughs> for people watching, but it doesn't seem to be. Uh, it doesn't quite work.
0: It's funny, I think that scene in the warehouse at the very end, the climax, there's something extremely sort of American cinema, right? It's a cliche, right? (laughs) That you see this, yeah, especially the guy, yeah, I'm jumping ahead here, but the guy wandering around uh, yelling insults at the top of his voice so that Jack Reacher can track his every move. This is just, you know, it's a cliche in American cinema. I don't know why we do it because it's so dumb and they don't do that in the book. <laughs> but yeah, theres it's no. like when well, you're watching that scene and it's like, what What are you doing? You're just a moron going around yelling at the top of your lungs so that the person knows exactly where you are all the time. <laughs>
1: so frustrating, isn't it? it like the, the scene where there is a, an intruder in a house Um, And it's it's often a girl, a woman that's uh, on her own. And instead of just leaving the house and getting the police to come in, she'll stay and have a little explore. No, you wouldn't. Just just get out.
0: (laughs) Just get out. Yeah. 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 It's funny. These, like I said, they're like tropes or I mean, I call them cliches. But yeah, Yeah. it's I don't know why they think they have to do that for some reason. But yeah, it is kind of. Yeah, it's a little bit insulting. I should give a little back. that, That aside. Yeah, that, exactly. That aside. So I should give a little background here about Lee Child, um, who is also English, as as Mark is. Lee Child um, is his pen name. His real name is James Dover Grant, and he was born in 1954 and went to school in Birmingham. He studied law, uh, but actually went to work in commercial television, where he was made redundant after about 20 years. And he was mad about that. He started writing novels and Killing Floor was his first and was published in 1997. And I listened to a clip of an interview with him where he said Killing Floor was really a vicarious book for him because Reacher had been cut loose after 13 years in the army and that he was furious. And Lee Child said, that's how I was feeling too. Uh, So interesting to to start channeling that kind of anger, right? And so he also said that most of the books are revenge books where Reacher is driven by anger, which makes us think about why these books are appealing, right? Reading about someone who's totally (laughs) infuriated, but yeah, wreaking their uh, revenge on the world, kind of funny Uh, So Child decided to write in the style of American thrillers, which is uh, surprising to me. He moved to the U.S. then, and he's been active in writing groups like uh, Mystery Writers of America. He served as a producer on the Amazon series, and actually now, I guess, as a new TV show of his own. He's written 24 Reacher books on his own. And is now co-writing with his brother, uh, Andrew Child, who apparently also changed his name. Um, And actually, these books, you know, speaking of how popular they are, they've sold over 60 million copies and still counting. So, yeah, amazing, successful series. People just love the Reacher books. It's just amazing. Yeah. Uh, So I have to ask you, since there are so many parallels with your life. So how... Comfortable would you feel trying to write in an American style about an ex military guy who wanders around America looking for trouble?
1: It's, ve- it's very appealing, isn't it? And in fact, it has been there is, I'm not going to name author, but it can be researched. There is somebody who's tried to reproduce Reacher in a sort of uh, London gangland, sort of a, a kind of Cockney, Cockney being um, a sort of Kind of every man in, in a certain part of London with a particular accent that most people will be familiar with. Quite a rough, tough sort of area, uh-huh. and it, it doesn't. I mean, it, it works. He's uh, the, the the author has made a lot of money, I'm sure, out of it, but it, it didn't quite work. So, w- how comes within America? I, I, I don't know. The, the, the military would be an issue because um, although the policing is done rather differently between you know in in, in England as a as opposed to to America, so and we're not even armed routinely, of course. Mm-hmm. So I've got very, very basic knowledge of firearms. So that, uh, and I've seen later books, Reacher is, there's a lot of ground covered with his skills as a a sniper and and, and some of the records that he holds for shooting distances of more than a mile and so on. So um, and one of the things you do notice is that Lee Child's research on the military and on weaponry and so on and tactics is really good. Yeah. Um, So with a bit of, well, a lot of research time that, that could be squared away. Mm. I'd be a bit more comfortable writing in, in terms of police procedure. So um, obviously things are a little bit different, but by and large, the set that the rights and the title is the same and that the process is the same from arrest to charging and so on. So that'd be okay. I think one of the things that, as with any artist, I suppose, is um, how easy they make something appear. And I think it would be a, a, a mistake to assume that everybody could write like that. Um, It's a very particular style, isn't it? Short, sort of staccato, choppy sentences sometimes um, Mm -hmm. that that kind of get inside the mindset of Reacher himself. But Mm -hmm. his portrayal of the landscape of America is, I think, amazing. Mm. You you can just visualize it with very, very little effort. In light of of this conversation, I thought, right, when I read this again, I'm going to try and look at an awful lot, maybe to to an American audience, but as an English reader, even things like the use of sodium light, you know, that, 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 that's not a word that, to, to describe street lighting that we, we use over here at all. The blacktop for, uh, for I guess, tarmacked roads surfaces. Mm-hmm. I had to look up exactly what he meant by 10 of six included in terms of a time, which I understand is 5.50 p.m. It was about 10 of six um, in the evening. And I thought, well, what, what does that mean? 10 past six, 10 to six. So it's just those little, little... Oh, um,
0: interesting. kind
1: interesting. Of, uh-huh. Yeah, that, 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 that just kind of, and that's why it's interesting. You mentioned that he's um, a very English name, James Dover Grant. Very English. Yeah. But my my assumption was that he was American because I, he just seemed to inhabit mm-hmm. the landscape that he described so well. Mm-hmm. Um, so that takes some doing. It mm-hmm. takes some doing. So not not as easy as it looks. But then most things done by really really successful people aren't, are they? That's the, <laughs> that's the, the yeah. issue.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, exactly. That's a very good point. Okay, just switch gears on you here. So the Reacher novel is told in first person. A lot of the Reacher novels are not. They're told in third person, although you know, we get to see inside his brain, even when it's told in third person, but this particular one is in first person. So you really get a lot of internal dialogue, what he's thinking, figuring things out. And it seems to me that that's a really big challenge when you take something to the screen, especially somebody who doesn't talk very much. So, you know, trying to keep the audience up with what is happening, what is Reacher thinking, what's his theory, what's his strategy, blah, blah, blah. So instead on screen, you have to have either voiceover or you have to have the characters explain things to each other, which is the route that they chose with this Amazon Reacher series. And so, you know, when you're aware of it, I think it's a little bit more noticeable that these, you know, there are scenes where people are just explaining things to each other really for the on behalf of the audience, right, to keep the audience going. So I kind of noticed that. I don't know if you did. And what do you think? I mean, it's tough, right, doing a trade-off between a voiceover and um, these kind of explanatory dialogues. So what did you think about that?
1: I don't remember reading the, the, the later books of Reacher. And this is not really a criticism at all because we devour them um like you know like biscuits these these things but yeah, um i i <laughs> i think with with killer what was, what was really good about that is that he's he seems a bit more of a rounded character than in, in other books but he betrays a mm-hmm. bit of fear in in the book um when he's inside the cell with the lifers at the, at the prison when he's um ahead of i guess being brought before the uh before the court now that's not something that would happen in, in in the uk where you have to go to, to prison for um for a weekend or whatever but in the book he talks quite openly about being fearful and the questions that he asks of the cleaner that walks past the cell betray again a a fear a sort of trepidation a wonder about what's going on Mm -hmm. but in the on screen you really get that he is kind of invincible both mentally and physically and it's just a bit is a bit of a trade-off so you're quite right you don't quite get that sort of full 360 impression of what's going on in his mind in the way that you do in that first person in the book but Obviously, I mean, it, it, it's a minor criticism, I think. Mm-hmm. But then again, if taking into account the, the other books, you don't get quite that same sense of him being afraid of it. Uh, and I suppose maybe he's developed, you could argue, he's developing as a character and his experience says that he always comes out on top. So why does he need to be scared of anything? But yeah, in mean, that first book, and, all, and you're quite right as well, also about um, uh, his fondness for Roscoe. Uh-huh. That's definitely much stronger in the book isn't it
0: -aha uh-huh. I'm glad you noticed that yeah that was yeah. my impression but I wasn't sure yeah if if other people would see it that way or not
1: I, I I think it really um I'm glad you kind of brought that to my attention at the outset because it I thought yeah you're absolutely right there which is not to say he doesn't like her of course or doesn't have any feelings for her in, in the, on the screen but it's just not and I wouldn't say there's no chemistry there it's just it's not quite as obvious just how fond he is of her but of course if you're in the first person you can you can see that inside your inside his head when he's looking at her and feeling that initial thrill that she seems to be reciprocating the feelings and is interested in him as well. But you don't get that on screen at all. A real sense of that excitement about their developing kind of respect, their relationship, yeah.
0: Yeah, he, there's that, that he is a little bit more fearful in the book. He's quite a bit more affectionate toward her than shows on the screen. And then the other thing that I thought Uh, happens in the book that you don't see in the show is that he's wrong. You know, he's, he's, he's quite, yeah, he's quite wrong about a key assumption that he's making in the book in that he thinks uh, one of the characters is already dead and he's just wrong. And he never makes that mistake in the show. So yeah, it is true that his character is a little bit more macho, I guess you would say on the show, where, yeah, he's not wrong. He's never afraid, and yeah, he doesn't, care that, wrong, afraid, yeah. <laughs> doesn't care that much about the woman. did not care that much about the woman. Our great American hero.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, with all those things taken together, you're, you're quite right. It, it does actually start to make that they're small things, perhaps on their own, but they do, in aggregate, make quite a big difference. Actually, come to think of it.
0: It's funny. So one of the reasons I really like the Reacher books is because I think he's so funny. And of course we see that in these kind of, you know, sardonic short phrases, often quite cynical. Um, he's quite anti-authoritarian, I would say, um, yeah. fairly rebellious. And so his, his, you know, his witticisms, his side cracks, I just, that's really the reason that I read the Reacher books. And that can be much harder on screen. For one thing, he doesn't talk that much. And so and so you don't get that kind of internal cynical voice that you do in the book. But I actually thought there were some things that they brought in that were quite funnier in the show. Uh, one of them is the thing about peach pie, which you'd have to say it was a bit of a miss that Lee Child didn't talk about Georgia Peaches you know, George is famous for its peaches. And so in the show, they bring that out, that Reacher is on verge of having a piece of peach pie. And then it's kind of a running joke, right? That every time he almost gets to a piece of peach pie, then, you know, something else happens. And so the pie is whisked away from him. And then it sets up an extremely funny line when he finally does get to eat The peach pie, which actually I'm not going to say because really, if you haven't seen the show, I don't want to ruin that part of it for you. And then the other one that's really funny that they, again, as kind of a, a running joke is he notices that the bad guys are moving a lot of animal feed. And so he starts kind of wondering about that out loud to his companions. And they're like, just shut up. You know, people in Georgia, we have a lot of uh, livestock. They eat a lot of feed. You know, what do you know, some some city guy about animal feed? And he keeps bringing it up. And then eventually it does turn out that that actually was quite important. He's right. Yeah, he's right. He's right. <laughs> so one of the uh, new characters, his uh, friend, Francis Negley, uh, shows up at some point and he's, again, you know, he brings up this thing about animal feed and she's like, that's a lot of animal feed. <laughs> and that's the, he, yeah. at that point, he shows a lot of uh, character. He's like, I've been saying that exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the other thing that was really funny to me was that Reacher eats all the time in the show. He's, he's constantly shoving large quantities of food. Food in his mouth which you don't get in the book at all so i don't know about you Um, if you felt like those were you know inappropriate additions because they're brand new they're not in the book at all or if you enjoyed them as much as i did
1: i i i I think they they were quite right to 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 attempt and actually carry off as you mentioned the animal feed ones Uh, yeah that that theme that kind of thread running through the whole thing is is, is really it's really good yeah there's not um, a complete sort of they're not entirely faithful, are they? From I think in the book, when Reacher, I'm not even can't quite remember if he sees the the crime scene with Morrison chief Morrison, who's had the most horrendous kind of treatment uh, as is his wife, really gruesome and gory. Um, and I think it was um, where he's asked, uh, are "You okay?" I have seen it, and he just answers, "Yeah, terrific,"
0: um, yeah.
1: and then kind of moves on. And, and that that's very English. That's a very English phrase it's um a sarcastic yeah well of course i'm not what do you expect um right but i, I made interesting i know it's just um, an adjective but it may well not have sort of it may, it may well i guess it, with a perhaps a predominantly american audience it might not have made quite the same impact. As it but but in other respects yeah i think the the one-liners are really really good I, I'm, I'm trying to remember if it, in some of the other books someone makes the comment you know you eat a lot of junk food and yet you're pretty ripped and you look like you work out and of course he never works out really.
0: <laughs> just fights Manages That's rip- just work out. Yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah
1: exactly <laughs> and I think his excuse is I'm a mesomorph naturally kind of biologically enormous and I don't have to do much to achieve it so I think I think that constantly eating, really eating other people's food as well, he just kind of helps himself, doesn't he? In scenes, I think it works really well, but he still preserves that sort of beyond statuesque kind of physique. So yeah, I, th- I think by and large, they even if they weren't sort of word for word replacements from book to screen, they did a really good job of that.
0: You know, it never it it never had occurred to me that one of the reasons I like the humor so much in the Reacher books. Is because it is an English kind of humor. So I worked for yes, Smith and Nephew yeah. for a long time, and uh, okay. and so I worked with a lot of English people. In fact, um, yeah. I used to fly through Manchester. Uh, so yeah, when I saw that, I was like, oh, Manchester! I remember Manchester.
1: Yeah, not far from it.
0: Often, at least that was my experience with some English humor was that it was very dry. And, very dry uh, and, yeah. and clever right you know witticisms right and also very cynical right
1: I, I, particularly uh, if you're in a, a law enforcement or military background it's just a way you kind of cope with what what you see and I think that's mm-hmm. that's conveyed really well in both books and, um, and on, on screen as well
0: mm-hmm. yeah that, of course there's there's a lot of that too it's not as though English humor and American humor don't you know, don't overlap in some ways. But yeah, that had never occurred to me until now that that's partly why I like the Reacher book so much. (laughs) So there were some details in the book that would have been, I think, easy to discard. And I was so glad that they kept the part about Reacher going to this made-up town in Georgia uh, to learn about Blind Blake, who was in fact uh, a real live person a blues guitarist and so one of the advantages of them keeping it which have been easy for them to just you know make up some other reason for him to come to town was, because now we could have this really cool soundtrack right of this old blues guy singing so i thought that was very clever that they did that was there anything else that you were happy that they kept you're like oh they could have they could have avoided that but i'm glad they kept it
1: just just on on what you when you said that again it sounds like i'm picking picking kind of holding and criticizing the show and i really don't mean to but am i mistaken but in the in in that in Killing Floor in particular, he's got uh, uh, there are certain things about him that are kind of supernatural. One of them is his ability to tell the time without looking at a watch. But that's not really in Killing Floor, and other books, but in this one, he, he says that the best stereo is the one inside one's own head, um, and he goes through a real repertoire of blues music that isn't picked up in the film as much. You write it, it lends itself to the soundtrack and so on, but he seems it's another thing to sort of flesh out his character. He's got a real. Um, Understanding and knowledge and appreciation for music, which you might not necessarily be obviously accessible for someone of his background, maybe because he's moved around so much, he's absorbed it. You could argue, but yeah, the the depth and the knowledge of 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 music, particularly blues music, isn't really taken up in the on screen. I don't think quite so much. Would you Would you agree with that?
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. I hadn't focused on that before, but I was really struck when I was reading Killing Floor that that is often how he passes the time is yes. to sit back and play a song in his head yeah. and i've heard of people doing that and i can do it a little bit not very well i'm not a very good musician i'm very interested in music but i've heard musicians talk about doing that so i thought that was a little bit interesting that they have a, that Lee Child had a non-musician do that cuz it does It does take a lot of musical skill to just sit there and play that song, all the parts of it in your head. But yeah, he definitely does that on several occasions. Yeah, that's interesting that you mentioned that. I wasn't going to say anything about it, but it struck me when I read the book. It was like, oh, that's interesting
1: yeah it really it, it does leap out which it doesn't help the question of course because that was about things that they've include um oh. I, think, I think just take a, yeah so sorry to return to your actual i think as a whole if you there but you could sort of bits and pieces throughout the throughout the book are um either not needed or kind of adapted um almost out of recognition but i think it's one of the strengths of the, uh, of, the of the show that uh, the, the narrative arc is pretty much the same and most of the major the protagonists are exactly the same, and they appear. They look. They have cast them really well. The kind of the, the characters we've mentioned already, Kleiner's some accepting him, but generally everybody else that that is in the in the book appears largely in character from sort of beginning to end. I think, and I think that was a real so just just their kind of faithfulness to the to the yeah. whole arc of it was the right thing to do. I don't remember enough about the the Tom Cruise um, films. Mm. And, to recall how faithful that was to the book obviously in casting him that straight away was was an issue yeah but i i can't quite remember enough about how to compare the, the faithfulness if you like and the fidelity of um book to film in both cases but i think it worked really well i, I was just glad that they, they they took the decision to keep most characters and most of the themes mm-hmm. but why wouldn't you of course because it is it, obviously one of the most successful friend well the most successful most of a writer of all time i think is not it's me world's number one bestseller
0: oh is that right um, i don't yeah, yeah I, think so. I, I see i would have thought harry potter might have given him a run for the money <laughs> yeah you think so uh, <laughs>
1: uh, i think they've, they've reduced it down to how many books are sold per second um and
0: apparently
1: <laughs> um <laughs> lee child sells a book every five seconds
0: oh my gosh
1: um, i don't know. so i don't know how MK raleigh maybe every Six or sevens. <laughs> I don't know, but um I, th- I think he's just about picture on it. It'd be nice, wouldn't it? selling so, I mean, watch your royalties come in every on a, on a minute level.
0: I'm uh, I'm just distracted here with the thought of Harry Potter taking on Jack Reacher and who, who I would bet on.
1: <laughs> what, what a franchise, eh? <laughs> Alien versus Predator. If it were there. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Okay, some changes that they did make. So I'm going to rattle these off here and have you say yay or nay for these. So there are a lot of flashbacks in the show that don't uh, happen in the book. So there are a bunch of flashbacks about his brother in particular, but also his mother too, and that she was French and that she died when he was still quite young. Uh, So yay or nay?
1: Yay, because I think they have to, Oh. I think they have to sort of drip feed his background somehow, but it's, it's easier in the first person, isn't it, as you mentioned? So, yay, but with preservation. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I noticed about the books and when I was composing these discussion points and questions for you is, you know, he's really a solitary creature. In the books. Yeah. And so, gosh, that makes it kind of hard to make a show about him where, you know, it's just not always him on the screen. And so they did quite a bit in the show to bring in some other characters, his brother, especially. Yeah. But also yeah. the next one, the uh, his sort of old army buddy, Francis Neagley. So she's introduced here on screen, but, and she does exist in the Reacher books, but she doesn't come in until later. Um, And, you know, she's a cool character, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, really cool. Yeah, really cool. You know, smart, also very athletic. She just is a nice presence on the screen. And then she's very instrumental in that climax, in that shootout at the warehouse, so, you know, I was thinking, as you said, it did add to the show to be able to bring in these extra characters. So how did you feel about bringing her in earlier? Yay or nay?
1: Yay, definitely. Um, you're quite right. She, and she's a real ass, isn't she? You wouldn't mess with her. Uh, no. Somebody does mess, mess with somebody <laughs> in her presence and it doesn't go down well. Um, but she. What, what's interesting is that she's almost a bit of a, there's obviously some kind of tension there. Uh, She's almost, in addition to her superpowers, a bit of a love rival to Roscoe. It's it's tempting to suggest there's a bit of history there, or, or maybe requited love, perhaps on from her part, which um, I can't remember enough with her appearances in other books. But obviously, she's not in Killing Floor at all. But mm. um, she works quite well as that sort of that kind of camp, that other interest in Reacher. they obviously they go back a long way. Professionally, but there's clearly something else just beneath the surface there as well. I thought that was, that was pretty well done, actually. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, she, she's the only one who knows his history Yes. And so her reaction when he tells her that his brother has been killed, she knows that this is a really big deal and she says to him you're going to start yeah. killing a lot of people now, aren't you? <laughs> so yeah. yeah, yeah. So she's the only one who really understands uh how serious that is for him. Yeah, so that's an interesting point. I, He definitely loves her. Well, I mean, there's a lot of love between them. I thought of it more, less romantic love and more like buddy love. Okay. But yeah, that definitely, there's, she brings in a lot of emotional impact because of that.
1: She does. Yeah.
0: There's that one scene which you kind of alluded to where, Yeah, totally not in the book, right? Who knows? I don't know. Yeah, where she comes to the defense of a pole dancer in a strip club uh, because some guy is sort of manhandling this girl and she freaks out and uh, puts him back in his place. There were these kind of woke elements in the show which Americans are now quite sensitive to. I don't know if the English sensibilities yeah, are quite uh, as. Yeah, we are. Oh, yeah, okay. quite right yeah. Far, yeah, your antenna goes up the way ours does, but <laughs> so people were kind of complaining about that, but she, yeah, there's this strong woman kind of, you know, yeah, one reviewer said as though it's not 2022 or whatever. <laughs> Did you have any yeah. reaction to, to her in that way?
1: you're quite right there's a, a kind of a reaction against wokeism sometimes here mm. but I, I kind of saw her more and it's interesting you thought that, that there was that kind of love as you know the four Greek forms of love philia as, as you say a kind of buddy love as opposed to anything more than that but either way I think she's almost like a male sorry a female equivalent to him isn't she in the, mm-hmm. her morals that she doesn't sort of think twice about confronting someone that's doing the doing something wrong to, to a woman and, and Reacher doesn't either in lots of the books, and in mm-hmm. the very first scene as well, he kind of stares somebody out and intimidates them and, and gets them to kind of apologise to, to, to his girlfriend by that um, outside that uh, diner. I think it is, isn't it, in, the, in the film? So yes, yeah, a lot of parallels. You're quite right. They go back a long way. They're obviously very gifted professionally, and um, uh, and she reacts in in kind of a similar way to him, at least mentally. Anyway, um, when she sees something wrong happening in front of her, she can't ignore it. So I thought that was really good, the way she was in, and, and quite empowering as well. I don't know um, where Needley is from in, in the books. I don't know the name of the actor that uh, who played her, but she she had a a, a real presence about her. A real don't mess with me, but actually something a soft core as well. I thought it was really good, really good.
0: So we talked about this a little bit before that the, one of the big changes that they made is is who the bad guy is. <laughs> yeah. So in the book, the bad guy is the older of two. So the father of a son who also has a part and he's an uh, older guy. He's the mayor. He has a lot of power, but in the show, they actually kill that guy off and have the son be the antagonist where, yeah, this young moronic guy walks around the warehouse yelling at the top of his lungs. (laughs) Um, And as you said, he's, uh, you know, he's smaller Physically, he's smaller than he is in the book. In the book, he's described as big, mean, and hairy, uh, but he's he's quite slender in the show, but, su- yeah, is, yeah. but super mean, right? I mean, really an evil character. So, yeah, what did you think about yeah switching all those roles around with the father and the son?
1: Yeah, that, as I, I did mention, I that was the one sort of weakness, really. Mm. In the book, uh, Kleiner, the father, is a, a slim shaven headed I think he's described as looking quite mean and capable but with a an interesting smile he's got canted teeth and kind of fang like teeth but having him in that less obviously physically imposing mode in the book makes him somehow more intimidating because he's obviously a man that wields huge power but you wouldn't know it necessarily in terms of his physique yeah that the sun was I, I was I think given the script the guy did a pretty good, i don't know who it was it but did a pretty good job with it and i think he definitely got across the the, the psychopathic kind of mindset uh, because i think actually the uh this son in the book is uh, you yeah, know he has done some time in a, in a in a secure institution i think hasn't he because of his um volatile temper and i think the casting of the son was perhaps a bit a bit preppy but um i think nevertheless they did portray as you as you said uh, a really nasty really nasty sort of um sociopathic kind of streak underneath it, which, so he did as well as he could, I think, but, but uh, it, it just didn't quite convince me, as you said, son killing dad. I don't, I don't know. I didn't yeah. quite buy
0: it. You just, yeah. You just put your uh, finger on it for me. That thing about killing your dad. Yeah. That, yeah, that's, that was, that was going off in a different sure. direction. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That I wasn't so sure about that. I liked the son character in the show because he Yeah, he's so, preppy's good, but evil, right? Appropriate evil. Whereas in the book, I think he's just sort of big and dumb and and mean. But yeah, killing your father, that just... Having studied you, you the classics, a, that has yeah, that has a lot of connotations.
1: Yeah, you need that. That there's an entire new kind of story to, to explore, isn't it? And you
0: can't
1: just, <laughs> just to do that on a screen and expect us to kind of go, oh, okay,
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah no. sure. That happens every day. <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> It yeah, didn't that's, work.
0: That's that's a very good point. Uh, so another character that they did mess with a little bit was Roscoe. So Roscoe is a female policeman, and she's the love interest in both the book and the show. And it was funny, actually, when I started counting up things that they changed for her, they weren't very consistent. Like, it, yeah, they just seemed a little bit all over the place. So she's dark haired in the book, she's blonde in the show. And so you'd think, okay, here we go again American cinema has to make the love interest blonde. But actually, there were some things that she did in the show. That showed actually a little bit more, you know, female empowerment than than in the book. It was this funny mix, right? So I think there's, they made some decisions, sort of traditional decisions, like making her blonde. But then also kind of having some wokeism too. So it was this very bizarre combination of things. She shows up more in the show. You know, she does. She's involved more than in the book. He's really he does a lot of things on his own in the book. And then she gets fired in the show, which doesn't uh, happen in the book. Um, And there's a very weird scene where he has attempted to protect her from some bad guys. And she just flips out and like starts yelling at him about, yeah, you don't have to take care of me and don't protect me. So yeah, there was this kind of funny combination of things. So how did you feel about her, the changes they made to her?
1: I, I, I Again, I, I feel like I should have been more equipped by learning names of the um, the, the actors. I thought she was, really I've not seen her in anything which probably helps yeah don't have same any kind here of mm-hmm. really good really pa- and I think the fact that she was anyone stood next to uh, Alan Richard looks fairly small but I get the impression she was kind of quite slender in, in real life but I, I can't get a picture on it nearly. but I think having that kind of size differential was kind of on their mind when they were casting her because she, uh, first appearance blonde quite slim fairly kind of small but her attitude and her kind of abilities and so on enhance her uh, well beyond the kind of the, the limits of a statue so i thought that was she was really good yeah you were right they did push that kind of empowerment thing a bit um and she kind of turns on him uh, i know it's been uh, i guess if you see that your house has been broken into and you know, by people that have come in the uh, hazmat kit to to kind of kill you then you're within your rights to to kind of behave a little bit out of the ordinary but true um they, they cast it as 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 but it's interesting his reaction was kind of um, I, I like this he, he sort of I like he liked the kind of feist in her I think mm. um so they kind of got away with it a little bit on mm-hmm. that front. I was I was running because you, as you said that the, the detective Roscoe in the book is is a is, is dark haired but also um Hubble's wife is dark haired and they're both kind of slim they're both pretty and I just wonder if it was maybe just to set up a bit of a kind of a contrast between maybe uh, maybe I'm pushing that a bit too far but that the, was it that they thought, well, she's such a good actor, um, let's just keep her as she is, or did they deliberately look for somebody who's um blonde, as you said, to attract to make that more obvious kind of, I suppose, general appeal. But but by and large, I think she was a really good um and 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 because she was so good, it was it was right to give her a bit more a longer reign to to kind of do as she wanted because um yeah, she was she was a, an excellent character. So yeah, definitely a yay on that one for me.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting you say that about her size, because I was going to say that about Frances. Uh, I don't know the name of the actress either who did that, but she must be really tall, because the scenes yeah, where I, she's I, standing next to Reacher, dang, she's almost as big as he is.
1: She's pretty much not certainly six, you think six foot or close to it, yeah.
0: Must right. be, maybe she's standing on a box, but yeah, she's tall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right.
1: yeah she, was a, she was a great casting on that front.
0: One more here that I, I want to ask you about, although it's a little bit complicated and I'm not sure that I have this straight, this has to do with him shooting those guys in the back. So there's a yeah. scene in there where he uh, shoots two bad guys in the back. And it does turn out that they are super bad guys. In the show, Roscoe discovers that he's shot these two people. And she also realizes that they were shot in the back. And so she she kind of calls him on that you know, which, my gosh, I can only imagine as a, as a policeman <laughs> discovering that, yeah, this person has shot two people in the back would be a big, big problem. But he tells her this vague story about, yeah, you know, people who hurt kids. There's a flashback then to a war scene. The whole thing. Maybe I wasn't paying enough attention, but that seemed very weird to me. And But then she helps him hide uh, this car that has these two bodies in it at the airport. So she actually kind of comes around and then helps him cover up this crime. Now, in the book, it's much more straightforward. She doesn't know anything, and he hides the bodies himself. So what what did you think about all that? Am I confused about what really happened, or what did you think?
1: No, no, you, you you you're absolutely right with all of it um and it does beg the question what were the producers trying to the screenwriters trying to achieve with it I, I, I don't know for sure but i think is it i just wonder if it might be a kind of a deliberate vehicle to to kind of learn a bit more about reach's character he's also got this kind of soft softer element that he's um he doesn't have kids he doesn't really have any kind of intention of ever having kids or indeed stepping down but he still loves children and kind of you know will look after them in the look out for them in the same way that you would with anyone else but uh, I the other thing I, sometimes you're told aren't you in, in kind of creative writing classes um uh show don't tell yeah and I just wonder if there was a little bit too much kind of uh, of um telling and rather than showing both with that in terms of a, hey, I I kind of protect kids too um and also and the dogs of course the um yeah this keep recurring scene that the, the that theme with the dog that um, is getting progressively kind of more neglected in the end he just punches the owner in the face um mm-hmm. but make sure that he feeds and, and looks after the dog and, and of course subsequently takes the thing into his own kind of care so there's yeah I think they're just jumping on every kind of opportunity to broaden the the character of, of Reacher there and that that kind of uh, as you mentioned that kind of flashback to to some moment in Iraq or whatever it was that he's uh mm-hmm. Avenged bad treatment of, of children. I just um, perhaps argue. Yeah, you could argue a bit too much um, tell not show. But of course, uh, uh, it's, di- it's so difficult, isn't it? As you say, I think it comes back to that first person exploration of Reacher's character in, in, in Killing Floor. That um, you've got to try and find alternative ways of, of exploring his character on screen. And uh, I guess their decisions they've made on that front. But yeah, sorry, it's not really answering the question because you, you're quite right, though. She as a as a police police officer she's right to question why do you shoot something in the back
0: um
1: so so that that is that is consistent with the kind of the mindset of a cop you're quite right she turns pretty quickly like oh yeah of course actually i'll help you stuff
0: <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's <no problem." laughs> okay that's good <laughs> enough quick. all right
1: <laughs> that's good enough like, let's get this done uh, it's a bit it's a bit. A bit A quick. <laughs> So the, the, yeah, the questioning of the, in the first place, fine, the subsequent behavior. Okay. Change your mind quickly, but fine. But I think a bit of poetic license, we can get away with that.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Although I do have to say when he shot those guys in the back, in the show, I was shocked. I didn't expect that. Oh really? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah.
1: How did you think he would, he'd go about dealing with them?
0: Well, I didn't think that just because they had tailed him that they deserved to be killed. But, you know, maybe I missed something. I didn't see that they had done anything particularly wrong except tail him up to that point. Now, it becomes clear in the next few minutes that they had killed somebody themselves. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I maybe I just missed something because I, I didn't realize that they had done anything wrong other than tail him. And I thought, wow, that's, that's pretty vengeful. Tail me, you get shot in the yeah. back.
1: <laughs> well, there is a uh, and that's a really good point, because th- there, is, um, there is a scene, which isn't in the book, where he confronts the um, the prison warder who's in on this uh, whole kind of Kleiner operation. Mm-hmm. Um, the prison officer traps him, doesn't he, uh, lures him to the back of some pub somewhere, and, and yeah. then the South American guys get out. Uh, does that happen before, in which case he's kind of got a bit of a license to, to treat the rest of them in the same way? I, I'm not sure he does. Um, in the absence of that, then I think you're, you're absolutely right. But, um, but it, it kind of comes back to the idea that he's um, in the, in the, on the screen, his judgment is never wrong. Even if it's almost like the pre-crime unit, isn't it? Yes. He knows that they're up to something wrong, even if they am not actually at that point doing anything wrong. Um, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: yeah. Yeah. That's exactly uh, right.
0: Because there's only 30 seconds or so between the time when he shoots him in the back and discovers that they themselves are killers. So it's like, yeah. Oh, okay, I guess. But yeah, at the, At the moment that he shot them, that did surprise me. It felt a little bit out of character. I mean, Reacher doesn't play by the rules. I mean, you know, the whole thing about, okay, we go on three, one, two, bam, and then he (laughs) hits him him on two. (laughs) That's very Reacher-esque, right? Yeah, Yeah. he he doesn't play by the rules. But yeah, I hadn't. I was very surprised when he shot those guys in the back when they really had only tailed him. But like I said, maybe I missed something. Those of you who are listening, who are saying, no, he'd already, he'd already seen them do something terrible. Then yeah, you can write and tell me I got that all wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. interesting when
1: you're trying to kind of match two timelines in the, in your head, both uh-huh. book and film, it becomes like, actually, am I getting this right or wrong? Because yeah, it's almost impossible to do, isn't it, sometimes? But it's
0: really funny. Yeah, you is- had, yeah your memory isn't, is not sequential, right? Your memory no. really is like vignettes. And so, like you say, you can't quite remember the sequence of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in yeah. the book, Definitely. they had things more spread out, like some of the interactions happened in a certain order. And then in the show, they would, probably for efficiency uh, reasons collapse those together uh, so several of those meetings with the gordon were that way where they were put together in the show it makes it more efficient and in a way makes the story move faster but yeah sometimes yeah. there are there are, yeah some questions that remain open because of <laughs> that. yeah so we have to talk about the dog i guess um yeah so that definitely not something in the book in fact I'm not so sure that Reacher really likes dogs in the books. It does seem as though they appear here and there, but they're usually like mean and horrible. Uh, But in the show, there's a very nice dog that is being abused. And so Reacher spots that and, you know, his moral code uh, won't let him let an abused dog uh, go on. So, yeah, uh, yeah. so he ends up befriending that dog. And then the dog ends up uh, with Finley, the head of the detectives. Um, and so there were reviews where people are like, oh, my God, not only do we have wokeness, now we have some darn dog in there. So, yeah, what did you think about that?
1: Um, I, I, I liked it. I, I think it, it just showed an extra depth. And I think you, two words you used his moral code. I've been struggling to come up with a phrase that really sums it up. And that, that is it, isn't it? It's that sort of old-fashioned heroic code, the moral code that he's got. And he may hate dogs. Um, we don't know, but um, ultimately he sees that code being breached and has to act upon it. It's not something that he's got any control over almost. And um, I, I thought it was fine. It's interesting, isn't it, that the things that people jump on in, in terms of um, uh, criticizing their reviews—it uh, just proves the point. You can't please everyone mm-hmm. at all. Fair enough. People are entitled, of course, to their to their to their opinions, but it's not slowing the plot down or anything. And it's um, and actually the guy had it coming anyway. He was. Is a nasty piece of work, um, and it just sort of supports the whole. <laughs> I see. Yeah, it, it's a nice little subplot because, of course, you get the reaction of of um, the, the detective in the end who takes over ownership of the dog. So we get that kind of nice interaction with Finley's dry, kind of sardonic look at it as well. So it lends an opportunity for Finley to to see another side of him as well. So yeah, no problem at all with it. I thought it worked.
0: Yeah, that's a good point because actually, when you get that shot of the dog in Finley's car. It's funny, right? Like you would yes, have expect, is. Yeah. And so it, it I'm sure it drew a laugh from me. It's like, ha, of course the dog's going to go with Finley. But yeah, it was another chance for the show to be a little bit funnier than the book, which, which is cool. Yeah. I've got no
1: issues there
0: at all. Okay. So I always enjoy reading the reviews when there's been uh, this kind of screen adaptation. And it was really interesting to me how many of the reviews of people who didn't like the show had not read the books. And I think that's true. I think for those of us who are fans of the books, we kind of approach the show wanting to like it. And if they get some big things right, like what it looks like and the humor, you know, we're like, yeah, this is a good show. Whereas I was surprised how many negative reviews there were um, yeah. from people who- you Yeah, know, I surprised H- hadn't read it
1: you mentioned somebody dan is it dan feinberg
0: yeah so that Not was
1: is, is he a well-known crit- critic
0: Mm-mm. no hollywood reporters very famous i didn't know uh dan feinberg or feinberg however you say his name yeah but yeah it, it, he had a very strange comment where he said it was frustratingly over to the source <laughs> material it's like what okay <laughs>
1: I mean, I it comes back to that, because you, you never, you know, you, you can't do right for doing it wrong, can you? you? You stay faithful to material, you get Mr. <laughs> Feinberg criticizing it, you. you right. go far away from it, and then you go people, well, this isn't a is it? So there's no way of, it's a very thin line, well, it's not even a line, it doesn't exist, you can't get it right.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so on the whole, I think they did a really good job of it. So uh, I, I beg to differ with him on that one. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And then, you know, I'd mentioned that some of the reviewers complained about the wokeness in it. We talked about that. And then a couple of the critics, uh, just the lay critics, just uh, viewers, complained about Reacher being unrealistic. And one person said the entire character is an impossibility, like winning the lottery. Or watching lightning hit a bank robber 15 times in the head. (laughs) But it's a bit of fiction. (laughs) But it's a bit of fiction. Everyone wishes was walking around. That's what makes the whole thing fun. And I thought, oh, that actually is really insightful. Right. I mean, we reach our readers. We know nobody's out there doing this crossing America and, and wreaking vengeance on the bad things happening in our country. But it's still really fun to read, right? And and we really enjoy the books. So yeah, did you have any reaction to his review?
1: Yeah, I think you're right. He he comes around to the to make the right point. Um, the entire character is an impossibility, uh, as you said. But then that's the that, as you say, that's exactly the appeal. But it's not so. He's not a superhero in the you know. He doesn't disappear. He doesn't fly. And, yeah. He's he's very believable. But there are certain supernatural elements, aren't there? That um mentioned before that he can tell the time without having any sight of a clock it's in his head and he can play almost like a cd player in his in his head as well with music and, and obviously mm-hmm.
0: he's
1: sh- like supernaturally strong and the fact that he can sort of somehow manage to exist off the grid and feed and clothe himself and <laughs> with nothing but a toothbrush and a bit of money but yeah i mean it, it's physically very very difficult to imagine but we all want to imagine something like that don't we yeah um mm-hmm. I, I don't know if the tagline, I, I can't remember if it was part of the blurb when Reacher first came out, or it was something that was kind of added, but um, some, somebody at some point said, I suspect his publishers, Reacher, um, every man wants to be him, every woman wants to be with him. Oh, um, uh-huh. I thought that was quite a nice way of summing it up as well. It doesn't even refer to his supernatural kind of um, presence, but it, it just it appeals at every level. Really. Yeah, I agree with that comment to a degree, but um, you're right. We need a bit of escapism, don't we? Especially at mm-hmm. the moment.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he, you know, he's really heroic in a very traditional way. You know, I think yeah. thinking about the classics.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and there are um, a lot of parallels. You talk about his moral code. There, there are a lot of overlaps with uh, um, something you're really interested in at the moment, of course, with your with your studies, the, uh, with the kind of the heroic code, the, the bronze age Mm-hmm. Uh, before everything went dark, that kind of Homeric code, uh, the ancient Greek warriors um, may or may not have ever lived by, but certainly was referred to endlessly in Greek and Roman literature, this idea of what it, you know, the embodiment of a real hero. There are a lot of differences, but there are certainly a lot of parallels as well. Mm-hmm. And Richard uh, has a lot of them, those qualities, definitely. Almost certainly a bit Herculean about it.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Or even Odysseus. I was thinking, you know, the idea of a Greek hero who is a thinking person, right? Yes. As Odysseus was yeah, this whole absolutely. idea. As well as physically. Yeah. yeah, right. Those two combinations, right? That he yeah. yeah. And Breacher is very smart. Yes, I mean, so he, so. yeah, he's he's uh, he really uses his brain. He's not just a monster man that goes around smashing heads together. He thinks a lot. Well, it's it's been so lovely to talk to you. I've really enjoyed it. And before I let you go, Mark, is there anything that you'd like to bring to the attention of the audience, if it's your books or your website or really anything?
1: Well, yeah, we we've mentioned um, the the classics, so uh, thank you. I mean, why not why not kind of just just go a little bit off off piece? But um, uh, I really love the, the 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 kind of the the movement to to re, retell, reimagine Greek myths. And there's been a lot of success, a lot of interest, and it's just great for the classics in general. Um,
0: mm.
1: The likes of Madeline Miller's books, uh, Circe, Pat Barker, Silence of the Girls, and, oh. and go back to Madeline Miller's, the, the Song of Achilles, amazing reimaginings of, of, of books and, and actually has really kind of sparked an interest in revisiting the classics from, from a feminist point of view as well. Now, the, the book I've... Um, uh, the, or the, the first part of the, the trilogy that's um, now out in in the UK and, and I think uh, not in paperback in the US but it's certainly on online uh, so it's a kindle book mm. um Argo um it's a, a reimagining of the Jason and the Golden Fleece myth oh, yeah um now now way back when in 94 I, I rode on a uh, a reconstructed ancient uh, warship um an athenian tri- trireme which was kind of central to it was a democratic kind of symbol in Athens. It was a means by which they enforced their their power over the Mediterranean, and so on and won various wars, uh, not least against Persia. But so the, the golden fleece is uh, a myth which predates the Trojan War. We've mentioned Odysseus; it predates him by a generation. So uh, I just really wanted, um, ever since I was a boy, to to kind of revisit it, but try and do it in a more kind of realistic way. By you know, what would the voyage have been like if it, mm. let's assume it happened? Mm-hmm. A big assumption, I know, but there, you know, there were no monsters. There were no kind of gods intervening, at least actively anyway. So what would it have been like for the men that actually uh, had to sort of row in increasingly hostile waters to the ends of the earth, in their opinion, 1,500 miles there, 1,500 miles back from Greece to um, Colchis, which was probably Georgia, or it is Georgia, the land of the Golden Fleece. So he's trying to kind of get in, get in the mindset of of, of essentially a pirate raid, really from, yeah. from Greece, mm-hmm. but an enforced one, uh, and the result of which Jason's family, the lives of his family, depend upon it. You know, if he wants to reclaim his throne uh, that his father was killed and, and usurped from, then he has to kind of go through a rite of passage, a rite of manhood, to do something impossible uh, and just road to the ends of the earth with a crew of heroes and and, and uh, retrieve the golden fleece. So, yeah, I really enjoyed it. The first part, the book one is out already, um, and the next two will follow uh, August and, and next year.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I'd, I'd love to have you come back to talk about that. I did, you know, I was just reading about Pat Barker because I was thinking about doing some podcasts about uh, really good war books. And of course, her, mm. her trilogy, yeah, is uh, about PTSD. Fantastic just fantastic she's just a fantastic writer and so I noticed that she had these books the signs of the girls I didn't know what those were but anyway all of that yeah I'd love to have you come back on the show and and uh, talk some more about that
1: I'd love to be thank you very much indeed
0: good well thank you very much I really appreciate it
1: thank you very much for having me it's been a real pleasure enjoyed it every minute of it
0: Thanks, everybody, for listening. We really appreciate it. Don't forget to check out the show notes for additional information about this episode. And give us a like or a thumbs up on Podomatic or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'd also love to have your support on Patreon. And get in touch. We'd love to hear from you through the Internet or Twitter or whatever means works for you. And finally, thanks to Caffeine Creek for the theme music.